Hey everyone! Hello! Hey, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we're back for episode 12 of A-B Testing. We're almost getting to the point where I'm going to be, or not be able to keep track. Alright, Brent, stop pounding on the table and get your face near the microphone. That's all I ask. Testing. Alright, great. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I think we, I've been getting a lot of flack, but I'm getting some flack about us talking about our three listeners. Apparently we have more. We don't know how many more, but... You know, we have listeners in Australia. Somebody said, hey, you have listeners here. So I think we may have more than we think. Four. Uh, four, including your... Oh, God. Okay. The uh, indirect advice I got was to stop making references to our our low listener count. Maybe someone might feel like, well, if there's only three, maybe I'm too many. And maybe there's something wrong I'm not noticing with what, what these Oh, I w- I've been thinking through, like, marketing plans for us. and Get T-shirts, I'm one of the three, and things like that. I don't know if I approve of that advice. All right, whatever. Okay. Hey. Um, Caps, mugs, watches. Yeah, great. Um, doggy vests, maybe? Sure, absolutely. Right, we great. can branch out. So uh, last week we talked about interviews and some junk going on there. And then, kablamo, we get mail this week saying, hey, we're changing the way we're moving jobs at Microsoft. We're not going to make it. Um, I'm not going to totally leaked the mail, which I'm sure is already posted on several news sites, but basically it said that moving between jobs at Microsoft is a lot easier. Um, you don't have to be in job as long. Let's, let's let people find out, you know, figure out where they can have the biggest impact, which I think is great. The thing missing from the mail, I thought, was we still, I mentioned this last week, we still at Microsoft, the one flaw we have in our internal interviews left is that we still put people through basically the same interview they had to go through to get hired at Microsoft. And my assumption is we've hired them once. If we want to bring them to their team, they've done pretty well. Uh, I want to primarily interview them for, I want to know how they're going to work with others, how they're going to fit on the team. And to do that, I can talk to them, but, and I'll get some good information there because I can, I can get some good behavioral ideas, but, I really, really want to heavily rely on peer feedback. And we don't have a great system for peer feedback. There was – so you mentioned there – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind just a second because you mentioned that there was just one thing that you saw missing, and that's actually the logistics around the interview process. There was one, one big, other one thing. One big thing missing. We'll see if it's as big as mine. But uh, Another one um, that I saw missing is it didn't seem to address – so let's say you, you – it significantly reduced the friction around uh, finding and getting a new job. That was fantastic, or, or exploring it. Um, there were other restrictions that used to be in place uh, that made it um, really hard, short of, of staying in your team for two years. It made it really hard for you to transfer out of that. Uh, and as we've talked about in the past, Right. Team fit is really important. Sometimes you don't detect that in, in the interview. And when you get in there and four months later, you realize, holy crap, I may not actually be the fit for the culture for this team. You're kind of stuck there for another couple of years until until you can um, go f- right, but that- either fix it in that org or go and find another org that has a fit. But the one thing that I didn't see, let's say you go through this new process and you get accepted. I didn't see any limitation on how long your existing team can hold on to you before you transfer. Yeah. The current process today, you pass an interview. Uh, 
your existing team can only hold on to you for a minimum of a month. I didn't see any discussion of that minimum. So now what I'm worried about, great, yes, Alan, you can go to this new team. How's 2017 work for you? Oh, I see. the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you passed the interview. I think that may be in the fine print that goes to, uh, goes to managers or because that, that, that's bad as well. All right. Yeah. That's not um, – I sort of implied that wouldn't be uh, that wouldn't be an issue, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I don't think that's a huge issue. Fast forwarding, and, and first of all, uh, one of the great things to tell people about working at a big company like Microsoft, I guess big is the wrong word, huge, massive, gigantous, um, is that you can change jobs without leaving the company, which is, I think, sort of a good advantage. You can try – New things, new products, even new roles at the company. I've always, I, guess, I guess that's both good and bad because there's a lot of people who are uh, – their learning has been stunted uh, working only at Microsoft because they haven't paid attention to anything going on outside the walls of Microsoft. It's a pro and con. Like if you, I guess it if is. If you yeah. go to a smaller company, let's say you went to Netflix or something like that, um, right, if, if – you get to a point in your career where you you feel like you've done learning what you wanted to learn there. You you really have to leave that company, right I here. Guess. We have people who really enjoy their jobs and stay in that position for. I, I know people who have stayed in their job for fifteen years. I know, I know, and I, I there are pros and cons to that too. Cons for me mostly. I I couldn't stand that. I can't either. My, <laughs> my resume is filled with. Um, I, I'm actually, it's a very proud point for me. I've done just about everything you can. I've done API, I've done UI, I've done service, I've done consumer, I've done uh, enterprise, uh, servers. It's For me, that aspect of Microsoft is fantastic. I can just, um, whenever I decide to lead a, leave a team, I go, what do I want to learn next? Uh, and who's got a position open in that? Very cool. Yes. Uh, so what the... There was a point I was getting to, and it was around peer feedback. And I want to really uh, – I was brainstorming this with a, a friend of ours the other day. And you know, we've tried – let me tell you about the peer feedback system we have right now at Microsoft. It's completely ineffective because the way it works is – the way it works today is I say, hey, Bob, Joe, and Fred, can you please provide feedback to me? knowing that Bob, Joe, and Fred really like me, and they will say great things about me, and my manager has to take that with a grain of salt. Uh, yes. And a good manager may reach out to some other people and ask them for feedback, and it's if they feel like it, and it's not a great system for getting objective feedback. So the idea that came out of this brainstorm, which I, I've had several brainstorms on this in the past, and one was, for those of you who have been around the Internet for a long, long time, in the 90s, Mid, mid to late 90s, there was this site called Am I Hot or Not? And um, the idea was you see pictures of people, you'd rate them, and then you'd see an inappropriate picture and close web browser and hope you never came back to the site again. But the idea was over – it was crowdsourcing whether you were hot or not. Moving forward, not what we're doing here, but the my joking proposition that started from was am I a good employee or not? Where people see me, a little bio about me, and the people I've worked with, and they go, yeah, I like working with him, or no, I don't. Um, not the plan I'm suggesting. Someone is coding that right now in their office. Yes, it's the miracle. Uh, but what if, and I'll throw this out to you, Brent, uh, what if you were required to submit 
not to solicit feedback, to submit feedback. You're required. You need to give feedback on five people a quarter or ten people a year, some, some number that could increase as your level band increases or could stay flat. But you have to, you're required to give feedback to a minimum of n number of people uh, per year. And even better, you know how um, uh, in any social networking site, review site, you can or Amazon reviews, you can like someone's comment or, or give a thumbs up or thumbs down. As a manager reading the feedback, uh, I want to rate you as a f- person who gives feedback by saying this feedback was useful, this feedback was not useful. So the and one so aspect I'm, tr- I'm trying there. to encourage. Uh, the goal here is to get people to submit feedback uh, that, and not just for quantity, but for give valuable feedback that evaluates their peers, people they've worked with, and also um, want to be viewed as a good feedback giver. Uh, so that's the idea I'm, I'm floating around in my head now. Not that I'm in charge of HR and any of this will happen, but I, I but, but so the last wanna... thing I'll say is – I have a good track record of throwing out random ideas, um, which aren't really that random, and uh, seeing some of them adopted, it's probably pure serendipity. In fact, it's entirely pure serendipity, but there's my there's my plan. Brent, throw in your ideas. So the your idea is we have some sort of peer feedback site someplace. Um, everyone has to contribute to it. So it, instead of me requesting from others, I have to pick... Uh, n number of people and provide them feedback. Correct. And I assume this n would not be in my directs. Correct. Okay. Um, and then other people, let's say for me, other people who have chosen me to to give me feedback, mm-hmm. um, they they can come in and they can see other people's feedback. I don't know if they can or not. I don't think so. You mentioned this sort of plus one or no? Like. That's that's for the manager. That's for the okay. so your manager sees your feedback and they go through them and this person says Brent's great. He's got a nice smile and and the manager has to fill out this. Was this feedback helpful? And he says heck no. Then someone gives a lot of more a lot of better constructive feedback or positive feedback. It's like this gives me a good idea of how Brent works. That's you know that's thumbs up. Mm. That, that helps the manager, but more importantly. My idea is once you get a collection of feedback that's ongoing about somebody, I, my hunch is if I can read that, I have an idea of how they work and a little bit more inside of them than a review and rewards and those things. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the, the college interview process we used to have here where we would send out interviewers and then uh, – I, I haven't done cal- uh, campus recruiting in quite a while, but – the recruiters themselves get rated on their ability uh, to get to pick flybacks that actually get accepted. That could work. The there's a lot of subjective bias in that system, though. The first off, like the 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 manager. Let's say you come in and, and you say something that's totally viable. But I could care less about your principles since they contradict mine. That's totally fine. The manager, I still want that feedback and the value in that, more value. Look, managers, we have bad managers discarding feedback all over the place. 
But the value in that feedback in aggregate is that uh, over time, I can get a better picture of how this person works for future managers. I, so I'm also thinking of this in sort of the data-driven engineering culture, right? Because we'd also have you presumably sending feedback to multiple different uh, employees under different managers. Sure. And then we'd have the manager's ability to rate feedback and be able to compare, um, hey, Alan's feedback, turns out this one guy consistently hates feedback of this sort. Uh, uh, this yeah, other, I think there's some valuable data mining you can give. I think you can look yeah. at, again, in, in, aggreg- in big data once you've done this for a while, and you can start to get some uh, really interesting insights. And again, it's not everything. And your fit and value to the team and your value to Microsoft at reward time is worth a lot more. I mean, peer feedback, I want to be more of that, but it still has to be about output and technical contribution and product impact and, and, and those things as well. The, the thing is... But we do a really bad job figuring out if someone, people, if someone is collaborative, if someone can work with other people. The, we, did a, we did a similar... Uh, we did a, a process when me and one of my peers at the last review where we basically um, evaluated each of the, the new three topics, like how well you do results and how well you basically leverage others and proactively contribute to others. And we kind of went very deep in all three of those topics for each of our guys. And we found it, using peer feedback, we found it very hard um, the one challenge is if, if I'm able to select five people or no. So actually, I think it's actually to brainstorm further. I think it needs to be both. I, I select five people because, uh, and, and five people or individuals also have to select five people in which they review. Perhaps. And, and the, the primary reason why I would suggest that is, uh, we do have people who like to spend their time in their office. Uh, we also have, like, you don't know what you don't know. You're right. So I, I, you do need so there, to. So there's a chance with that program that there'll be people who don't get feedback at all. And this is a case where, especially in the short term, we're not going to be overwhelmed by too much data. I think if you gather those and, it's, and oh, more work to do, like, look, it doesn't take, it's, it's minimal. But over time, as we get more of this data, we can figure out, oh, this, this, one of these doesn't work. We're going to stop doing it. Or one of these works well. Or it could be that you can use the data to help tweak the system. I have an improvement suggestion. I, have, I've, I already have 10 in my head from this conversation so far. So go ahead. The, the, so an individual, let's say it's N, right? The, the number of uh, feedback that they have to fill out. It could be letter level. It can be sure. whatever. Uh, at some point in time where the, that poor soul doesn't end up with uh, feedback burnout, right? We don't want to – we don't want to get it to the point where they're like, uh, I, th- I think you build a col- – I'm just going to copy no. and paste what I said for Alan for this guy. No, and, and let, me, let me pause there because that's a definite trap to fall into. Mm-hmm. Because we do feedback one time a year when I get this pile of requests. And, and you know, I let mine pile up and I, do them in, and I put them in there. The idea of – my original idea of you know, me choosing to give feedback is a sentence in, in the moment, sort of in the moment like, wow, 
Scott really helped me figure this thing out. And I couldn't have done it without him. And it was outside the scope of his job. I'm going to give that feedback. I'm going to just chuck that in there somewhere, whatever, whatever the mechanism is. But I'd rather do it in the moment than uh, one time a year when I've completely forgotten about that event. So now I have two ideas. The idea on this one is let them select a few of those folks, but the rest is selected for them via, you know. It could scrounge your email. It could look email, at, but look at, hierarchy. Yeah, whatever. Right, and, and, then it's, and then it's sort of a random sampling. The, the second thing, this is my favorite feedback trick. I use this quite often. I, and I, I don't know if I've ever walked you through it before. Um, this was taught to me uh, by a, uh, a peer years and years ago. So I'll, I'll just run you through it if you don't mind. I don't mind. Okay. <laughs> Alan. Brent. Step one. What I would like you to do is rate, during our last podcast, not this one, but our last podcast, rate your expectations of me from one to ten of Rate how well I achieved your expectations of me from 1 to 10 in our last podcast. All right. 10 is the most awesome. Yep. What's your rating? Oh, you want me out loud? Yeah. 1 to 10. Uh, 8. 8. Awesome. Because I have low expectations of you, and you nailed the, almost all of them. That, that was sweet. Now, th- this is the important question. What could I have done differently in our last podcast? such that your answer to the prior question would have been a 10. You could have put your damn face closer to the microphone. Okay. If I had <laughs> if I had done everything in the podcast and I had put my face close to the microphone, would that have make it a 10? Uh, that would bring it to a, that would bring it to a 9. I'm changing my first score cuz you did a lot. That's a 7. That would bring you to a 9. Okay. What else could I have done? So when I edit, uh, the less I have to edit of you making weird sounds out of your mouth, Weird sounds? Yeah. I'll, I'll send you an outtake. <laughs> that might be why I'm uh, staying far away from the microphone. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so the, that very quick feedback loop, something like that, I would love to have yeah. peer feedback. And in, in addition to that, uh, the, the random selection, you can time box it and say, your expectations of this individual in the last three months. What we captured there was an evaluation of, and translated to a work situation, it's an evaluation to how perception of accomplishing a task. Expectations. What's missing, and that's not what I'm worried about. We'll get that. Maybe, Maybe I should be. But what I'm more worried about is we don't seem to care enough, carefully use my words here, about actual collaboration and working with others. And you didn't that 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 that, that evaluation didn't capture that. I want to be able you to You can change the so the if you if you saw what I did, first off is I said, give me a rating due to some expectation. Now you can change that expectation. You could say, give me a rating from one to ten of how well you you felt I collaborated in the last three months, or how well you feel I am as a manager, or how well you feel I am as a developer, or whatever. So, now, the the brilliant thing about that is it actually doesn't you, matter. You're going to go all the way to brilliant. Yes, all the way. Uh, there are better things than brilliant, but the brilliant thing about that is it doesn't matter what your rating is. What that rating does 
is it forces you to sort of make your own relative yeah. point I, of view. I, I think it's a good system, but a different system. Sure. I, I, and and maybe with different input and different results. The one but the great thing is, another great thing about a big company, before we move on, is uh, we could A-B test, not in the, in the Alan Brent testing podcast, but in traditional A-B testing where we could run experiments. In this division, we're going to do this. In this division, this part of this division, we're going to do this. Um, it would be great if we – I want to d- do data-driven HR. That would be awesome. And I don't know why – I don't know that if, I could get my boss to buy into that, if there but are, I bet you your boss would buy into if that. There are comp- my boss's boss wouldn't. Yeah? Yeah. So <laughs> but ask no. your boss to shield you from your boss's boss. Hey, my, <laughs> my boss is fully supportive of am I a good employee or not. Alan, do it, do it. Um, the, the, the other thing, the other thing that you may not have noticed that is something of a huge passion for me. I truly believe that everybody is awesome, but everybody has behaviors that suck, particularly in the environment or in the expectations. And so, trying to use peer feedback to tug out what are those behaviors that may not fit well. In, in we talk about systems thinking in the, in the new system that this person is trying to join. Um, I've had people who back in the days I remember with this one guy who was a tester who hated testing, and I sat him down and I'm like, look, you don't like to do any of the things around testing. It wasn't about the activity, but his behaviors show you don't like this. You like PM. Go get a PM job. And and he was a a, a repeat. Uh, 3.0. Back in those days, 3.0 was hugely bad. Uh, with that encouragement, he went on and he um, ended up being a repeat 4.0, employee in that new role. Yeah, there's... Uh, I may not have mentioned on the podcast before, but I'm a big fan of the grid that Michael Lopp talks about in his fantastic management book called Managing Humans. And the skill and the will quadrant. And you have high skill, you have Basically, you can bucket your employees into four groups. High skill, high will. High, high skill, low will. Low skill, high will. And low skill, low will. And the idea is that each of those is a different sort of management challenge or different management approach. When you have your high skill, high will employees, the ones that just – they're the awesome people, you can't just leave them alone. you got to make sure, make sure they maintain challenge and keep them there. You have low skill, high will – like that's, this is like your typical like college hire. I want to do well. I want to do well. I'm a little puppy dog. But – Got to make sure they get the right training or, or coaching or mentoring so they can get the skills they need to get up into that high skill, high will. Same thing with the low will, high skill. A lot of times, like your guy, they're just in the wrong job. Like I'm really capable, I'm really smart, but I don't like what I'm doing or I don't like the product I'm working on. You need to, as a manager, it's your job to get your whole team to try and juggle your whole team into that high skill, high will bucket or if they're just low skill low will and it's not the wrong job you just hired a putz you know find a way to deal with them in the appropriate way as well there's a another tool that i'm uh, i'm familiar with I've, I've talked with alan in the past the the influencer series uh they talk about a similar thing which is motivation and ability right yeah. motivation uh you you can get people to change both of these but a lot of the times it's not worth the ROI. Well, it's important for and we're off the topic here, but it's important for managers to recognize that you you have an employee who just 
may not be it may be a great employee but not the best employee for your team and it's your job as a manager if they're not cutting it on your team but you see potential there it's your job to find them the right fit on the team on your org or somewhere else at microsoft and people for people forget that too often so what are we concluding on the uh I don't know. I'm, I'm, a couple things came out of that. I'm curious if there are any examples in the industry of data-driven HR. So if anybody knows of any of those, drop I think us a you note. brought up an example last time around. Uh, no, it was Google after, hiring. It was, no, that wasn't data-driven. That was data analysis on HR. Google looked oh. at. Let's look at the feedback we've done over the last ten years and do some analysis on and that. And they said all the KPIs we've been using suck. Well. <laughs> Again, and you can. So do you I, want I'm, not, I'm not going to rehash the last mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, <laughs> I think that we're. I love the again. I like the direction. I was about to say love, but I like the direction. We're making some changes. Uh, like I, with me, I always like to see more. I'm a little more extreme, so I want to see if. And I think peer feedback is one. Getting that right will help us. The system we have now, we may as well not do it. That's that's my. Closing yeah, it's it's for Jensen. It, it's pointless. We talked about Google, and one of the things uh, Google does on peer feedback is you can select um, six people. I don't know. It's it's a budget. They I, they change it frequently, but the peer bonus system. No, no, I'm talking oh. about peer feedback. So oh, this is what, for- I, what I last heard is is that you as an individual can select uh, six people, very similar to uh, what we have here. But anybody who wants to, this is different from here. Anybody who wants to can co- proactively add feedback. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't paid attention. It, it, just that one change would be a huge value right. out here. Let's experiment, try some things out. Stephen Johnson, one of my authoring heroes, was at Microsoft yesterday. I got a chance to meet him and, and get a second copy of his book so I could have one autographed. That's pretty cool. His... Uh, Sounds like a public service announcement, which it probably is because he did his last book called How We Get to Now, um, which is based on a nugget from his last book, which I which I have read like three times now, Where Good Ideas Come From, which if you've heard me talk at all about testing, I steal liberally from him. I told him that. He was cool. He didn't punch me. Um, <laughs> but How We Get to Now, he filmed as a PBS series at the same time he wrote it. So he would go out and get the ideas and do the research, and they'd film for like 10 hours. Then he'd go back and do a bunch of writing, or vice versa. He'd write about something, and then they'd go film it. But there's a PBS series. It's the third episode is maybe fourth. Anyway, it's six episodes, six parts of the book on these great uh, uh, connections of ideas and innovation through history. Uh, quick story from yesterday. He has a great example of you know, there was a – I'm going to paraphrase this horribly because that's what I do – there was a printing plant, and the ink was running. So they, they had a guy there trying to figure out how to dehumidify the air, and he figured it out, and the machine he made had the side effect of cooling off the room as well. People liked that, started eating lunch in the printing room because it was nice and cool in there. So maybe we're on to something. And out of the, and a couple years later or several years later, they were able to build um, air conditioning units that would work in a house, and that drove... Air conditioning, the invention of that, which came out of a dehumidifier for a printing plant, actually drove large-scale migration of people to areas like uh, Phoenix, uh, South Florida, Las Vegas. You know, turn of the century, just turn of the last century, 100 years ago, 
there are like 150 people living in Las Vegas, and now it's the fastest growing city in the like in the country, uh, and all that's due to the to dehumidifying. And then he talks about how that goes into and how it actually has affected the political climate of political races and and all kinds of great connections. He's great at drawing these connections, and which makes sense because he's the guy that learned where ideas come from. And where do ideas come from, Brent? Uh, unicorn Rainbow Land. They come from other ideas. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I think anyone anyone interested in coming up with new ideas, if you're if you're fine. Have you if, read Shapiro yet? Stephen Shapiro? Yes. Yeah, he's he's I have not read Stephen Johnson, but I've, I'm all in on Shapiro and it's very much along those same lines. And so what it, I would say with Stephen Johnson with um, I have. And to be fair, I've only read like the first half a chapter of the new book. Uh, but where ideas come from, where good ideas come from, if you actually don't care about coming up with new ideas and you're fine just doing what you're told, probably don't need to read it. But if you actually want to uh, figure out where ideas come from and how to come up with good ideas of your own and how to think about that, you got to go read where good ideas come from. And I've read uh, he's written nine books. I've written I've read I've written I've read uh, about half. I read Everything Bad is Good for You and The Ghost Map and um, and Where Good Ideas Come From, which math let me get my calculator out. I read a third of his book. I'll, I'll, I'll increase that to just under half when I finish uh, where. Um, so so you guys, you guys in podcast land can't. Can't see Alan when he's thinking about Stephen Johnson, but it is clear he has a major bromance for this guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting a little embarrassed and a little flustered. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, one last thing before we get going is uh, maybe one next to last thing. But, Brent, you wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the not invented here syndrome, what that means for business. Yeah, so we've talked about this quite a bit. And there's a situation currently happening in my org. Uh, it, it, it frustrates me quite a bit. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna share it on the podcast. But I'm wondering, maybe Alan, you could you could brainstorm with me in the time we have remaining today around how can we accelerate learning in the organization? In, in a nutshell, what we have is we have a well-known bad decision that has occurred in in the business. Okay, well-known bad decision. A uh, bunch of teams, I would say somewhere around 50 people working hard to replace uh, the, the assets built as a result of that bad decision. And we're, we're in a phase uh, where... Multiple teams. In in the specific context, this is around a, a data pipeline, which which I argue is the the test harness. No, of- <laughs> I was I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, it was it was the test harness for a long time, and now now that every team wrote, we have oh we have a test harness. Ours is great. Now yep. it's the data pipeline. Yeah, the 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 difference though is back in the old school days, if you didn't build a test harness. You still could ship, right? You work 40-hour days. Everyone's bug bashing in the last month. Fun. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not efficient. It's quite painful, but you could still ship. But in these days, if you don't have a good data pipeline, 
Um, your business is hurt, period. And so what we're seeing is, is a lot of NIH around data pipes. NIH is not invented here for the acronym uh, WEARY. Yes, and, and uh, there's a human condition where we're pre-built to, to believe that other people's ideas are stupid and mine is awesome. And I battle that. I, there's a phrase that you'll hear in my hallway quite often that NIH is awesome. Not invented here is bonus. Let's go. Um, anyway, there was a decision that looks like it's in flight. It was made uh, in isolation. Uh, it hasn't been vetted with all the other executives, but one executive basically very recently has made a decision that it's going to lead us down a path that's remarkably similar to the one we just um, got ourselves unburied. And not only that, this is much bigger. And, and so what I find myself puzzling is how do we prevent this going forward? I, Why is this learning at this level so hard? I don't think it's that hard. I, I, I do think about this a lot, and I have a great story I'll share in a moment, which will make yours seem mellow in comparison, I think. I think ego tends to trump invention in non-learning organizations. And what I mean by that is I commonly see, you know, I think non-invented here comes from ego, comes from I, nobody else could come up with a better idea than me. This must be the best idea. I have been here for 20 yep. years, and, and, I, and I know. I also believe that, like I mentioned a few minutes ago from Stephen Johnson, good ideas come from other ideas. And learning orgs, uh, and another book recommendation, one always knew the the outside edge of my bookshelf is uh, Peter Singe's uh, The Fifth Discipline, which is a learning organization. I think a learning organization in tech comes a lot from small experiments that fail. Like if I want to have a new data pipeline, I want to think, I want to brainstorm every little bit of it and come up with a, at least a, a few, one or two, or sorry, not one, at least two or three different options for each part, and give let some people go investigate. Not two to three week investigations. I want, I want little. Short investigations that include an investigation could be here's an idea how to do it. Let me understand more why this didn't work, why, why something similar didn't work in the past. I think, and, and that's where those ideas coming together. Have those teams get together and do a little brainstorm, a little, 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 probably different than a scrum meeting, but a little half hour. Like here's what I thought of, and let those ideas bounce off each other, and then you're going to come up with something that's a lot better. Uh, I think. When you just think this is the right way, I really can't think of another way. In fact, I, I think this is from Weinberg. I can't remember. But when I'm thinking for a, a solution for a really difficult problem, I want to come up with three ideas for it. Because I don't know. You know, I might think of one and, well, this one's the best one for sure. And then I'll force myself, well, let me think of two other ways I could do this. And often, not always, but often – I find something in that second or third solution and, and not just me by myself, but working with others because that's how I believe these things need to happen. I got something in my eye. Um, but when you think from the beginning that you have a solution, there isn't, and there won't be another way to do it, uh, regardless of whether it repeats a bad decision you've made before, it's probably a bad decision. There's a, there's a couple of things. First off, um, 
I do the same thing in terms of coming up with three solutions. And, and it's very interesting because I, I've actually been teaching people this. I've now taught it four times in the last week, and the last time I've, I've taught it to someone was like five years ago. So there's this weird sort of coincidence thing. Basically what I do is when you, when you need to come up with alternatives for brainstorming, solution number one, what is the high cost but low risk solution? Solution number three is what is the low cost but high risk solution? And then solution number two is the one that's medium cost, medium risk. And starting with those things, you, you end up getting the two scales, and then uh, you're able to converge on what would be a good in-between that allows us to be flexible. Perhaps. One, one technique I use a lot is the um, look at these extremes for any, any technical problem or any adaptive problem. Look at what, one extreme versus the other, whether it's those criteria and others, and then take the best from both sides and figure it out. The other thing that, that I, I picked up from your, your guidance is it implies that if we could somehow come up with a way to measure the maturity model of an organization around how they are, are a learning organization, right? uh, there's a heuristic that, as you were talking, it reminds me of. They're still very dominant, this philosophy within our company, around betting the farm. And I'm like, I've, I've now, after seeing this for, for several months in the last two years played out, I actually think that that's a heuristic for someone who's low on that maturity model. The, what you're talking about uh, with the, the, the printer ink not drying, right? It, I, I thought of it in terms of Reese's concepts of pivot and persevere. The guys invented something that solved this problem, but they then very quickly understood the behavior of human beings given this new environment, and they recognized, hey, wait a minute, there's likely a significantly more valuable idea in terms of the usage of this asset we just built. Yeah. Stephen Johnson calls those, when you fail to do that, those blind spots, and they're very common. There was a guy ahead of Edison who invented a way to record music on a, on a cylinder. He, he thought that was fantastic, and it was kind of developed out of his idea that if people take shorthand, I'll make this thing that records, and then they'll learn how to read the waves in this recording and they'll be able to transcribe it. Uh, he, it didn't even occur to him that people might want to listen to what had been recorded. <laughs> he could record, but it couldn't, and, and the fact that it couldn't play back, not even on his radar. And, but I was, th- I was, wait, wait. What problem was he solving? He wanted to be able to record something so that – and his idea was that, well, once it's recorded, people can look at the wave. You can do a little a – little, look at the waves in the wax and transcribe that into words. He thought it would be a new, ver, new, new form of shorthand. Oh, he was trying to, he was trying to automate transcription. Yeah, so he missed and, – and we see that happen. I, I heard that. I go, I've seen that happen about 100 times at least in software engineering where I have this – and I see it actually come out of research a lot. Where mm-hmm. The great thing – we have super smart people in Microsoft research and they come up with great ideas. goes, I developed this thing that does this. And they go, well, that's not interesting at all. But if I take it and then do this with it, now it's super valuable. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I've encountered situations where I've done, I was trying to do this and it completely failed, but I'm sharing. And I look at it, I'm like, do you not see what you have? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> All right, we're almost out of time. Hey, uh, I want to tell so my story. Your NIH my story. story. So um, years ago, uh, I was involved. I was actually the, the principal, the key person involved in trying to acquire some really cool technology from Microsoft. Uh, I had talked to the the owners uh, of the of the program. People, you know, excitement at Microsoft was high. The cost was relatively cheap. It's like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. But like, it was a very exciting time. Started floating it around, you know, and trying to figure out an idea of how much scale we need. And the VP of of one major product at Microsoft said he vetoed it. He said. The, this program, this this platform, offers features that we may implement sometime in the future. So we don't want it to compete. So I don't I don't want it here at Microsoft. And that's it. The deal was done. The deal was off. What? What? And uh, I, I have to leave it. I'll leave it at that for now. But it's funny that recently we may want to implement the that, features that, in the company we're trying to acquire. Yeah. So he said our product may implement many of these features sometime. So we don't want to have that here because it'll take away from our future growth. Yeah, that was the line. Is that VP so, still here? I don't know. I don't know. Oh. I can tell you, though, recently there's been a, a resurgence of a huge number of people saying, saying, hey, we should get this product here. And they searched the internal web, and they found these, uh, these documents I wrote six, seven years ago. said, hey, whatever happened with this? And I sadly tell them probably even a less uh, – interesting version of that story but i think we really missed out big time on a chance to become a learning organization so that that one that line just blows me away like the, our our product's going to have this stuff someday so maybe so, so we don't want to we don't want to spend so let me ask this you, minimal amount of money to have it here does that product have it today? no absolutely not nothing even close and have you recently done any sort of update check in terms of the status of that company yeah um Here's the funny part. Yeah, they're still around. They're, they're more popular than ever. Uh, much harder for us to get it on site than it was then. I still have the contacts. It's funny. I still have the contacts who tell me behind the curtain that, uh, sure, we'll help you get it set up. No problem. But there's still NIH around that from the interested parties now. And so it's even though I honestly could get them here for a price that Microsoft could afford and be economical, uh, given the value, but... This uh, was uh, maybe I missed it. This is a company we're trying to acquire, no, or not, no, a service technology. we wanted to bring in house. A service we wanted to bring in house. Oh, I, I hate this. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> I, that, I, this is when I think of not invented <laughs> here. This is a story that grinds me more than any, and uh, it's just I think it's a loss of opportunity. So la- last time, the time before, I was talking about the third party that we were going with, and, and we hit some of that when we were um, flooding the proposal, and. Because there is another team who's trying to build those services. And I said, that's fantastic. We're going to go with this because we need it now. And and here's our design. And we're going to design it such that we can flip the switch yeah. like I, I hope that approach becomes a prototype and a, a, a practice we can see more of at Microsoft. But uh, yeah. I, I, think, I think you're still in the rare bucket. Yeah, it's – for me, it's, it's just – Time is of essence. We don't have the time to wait for you to light up this feature. We need it now. And it's cheaper than putting 
We don't have to serialize. <laughs> right, right. And we, yeah. All right, we're out of time. So, uh, hey, fun podcast today, Brent. Yeah, thank you. How All did right. I do today? Uh, I'll let you know after you turn the mic off. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, thanks again for listening. Yep. Uh, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we'll see you next time. Bye.